is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 232, VFR and IMC, Prevention and Survival, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the show about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. You know, a recent accident of a helicopter crash in the side of a mountain in California caused us to reflect as pilots on how we can prevent this from happening to us. Uh, today we discuss VFR and IMC, some statistics, uh, statistics <laughs> prevention and survival. Uh, you know, when we find ourselves flying IMC while uh, VFR, what we might be able to do to get out of it. By the way, there is a disclaimer I want to put up front before we introduce our other co-host. Uh, you know, due to the sense of nature of this accident, certain members of the podcast can not participate in this episode, and in no way do we represent any positions or statements made by those members. Uh, this podcast doesn't represent in any form those folks on this episode so just want to put that forth and also this is a learning experience for those of us this is a general aviation podcast and we're trying to learn uh, from past events or current events uh, what we can do to make ourselves safer we use those events to actually move forward with conversations what we're not trying to do is pass judgment on current events nor do we <laughs> claim any knowledge of what's going on uh, during a, a current investigation we're going to wait till the you know all the experts get done with all their investigations of whatever crash it may be that's recent uh, just so that we can learn from all those things but uh, anyway, I do. On that note, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. This is something I'm very adamant about: uh, is trying to prevent people from flying uh, IMC when they uh, should be only flying VFR, whether from a currency basis or from a legal perspective and a rules perspective. But first, let me say hello to Russ Rosleski uh, from uh, the middle of the country. Welcome to the podcast, Russ. Almost the middle. Hello, Carl. Great weather out here in Oklahoma City this week. It's been <laughs> real nice. I've been doing quite a bit of uh, flying with a couple of. Uh, Cessna 340 owners, actually. Uh, oh, there's cool. a few of those that I work with, and it's been great for it. Awesome. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, I got to go out flying today. I was so excited about that. And uh, as a matter of I, I took a picture of myself in an airplane, a small airplane. I was a, a beaming smile. I realized, you know, how much I, I, I miss flying in small airplanes. And when I do get up, hopefully, you know, I try to get up once a week or once every other week. It's just so exciting. And I, I get what you say, man. It, it's cool going out there flying, isn't it? And oh, really? Yeah. And also joining us, uh, somebody else who's been actually flying his tail off, or should I say his tail fins off, is uh, is Tom Frick. Hey, Tom, welcome. Hey, Carl. You Indeed. Yeah, yeah. I've just come off of a six-day pinball adventure around the state of Florida. But lots of uh, time up in the air, and, and uh, you know, the weather has been nice for flying here as well. Um, a little bit of IMC here and there but nothing uh, nothing to scare us away. No, that's good. As a matter of fact, today, as a good example, uh, I was supposed to go do a VFR flight uh, from Lakeland over to 
uh, Peter O'Knight Airport. I was going to show uh, my nephew around Peter O'Knight because he's never been in there. If you haven't been there, you've got to go. It's one of the best airports on the planet, in my view, and uh, it's it's so pretty. It's on this little island, downtown Tampa, and you fly in, and you go over the water. You see the skyline. You can see MacDill Air Force Base, and just a wonderful time to go is either early in the morning or during sunset. We did it during the sunset and just had a blast. It was really cool, too, to learn about how to get in and out of the airspace because it's basically right under the shelf, the 1,200-foot shelf right there of the Class Bravo in Tampa, and uh, it was funny because Tampa, we talked to, basically didn't want anything to do with us. We did, we really didn't really need to talk to them because they kept taking us lower and lower underneath the shelf. Uh, but it, it was just such a great uh, time to visit with people I hadn't seen in such a long time. That's where I used to flight instruct out of. Um, and one of the decisions that we were trying to make is when do we go? Uh, prescient to this podcast is, you know, this morning we thought we were going to go about nine o'clock in the morning. Well, it was still IFR is actually low IFR about seven a.m here in central Florida trying to get out of Lakeland we definitely should have done it on uh, on an IFR clearance but uh, there's a couple things we had to consider number one are we current yeah well both of us are current IFR is the airplane uh, you know legal to fly it was um, but uh, the other thing too is that you know gosh do we uh, there was a couple things that kind of concerned me on the aircraft, and I said, listen, why don't we just go VFR and just wait it out, and that's what we did, and it was really cool because there was nobody else up there, uh, and it was so smooth. You know, a lot of times we think when the winds are blowing at the surface, it's going to be bumpy up above, and this wasn't one of those cases. But to our point, uh, today is talking a little bit about uh, IFR uh, flying for VFR pilots and uh, trying to prevent you from getting yourself into a situation that's going to be uh, you know, detrimental to, to your safety. But before we do that, let's uh, first uh, hear a few words from our sponsor. Do you want to pursue a career in aviation as a pilot, air traffic controller, mechanic, or dispatcher? Or do you just want to earn that commercial or instrument rating, but you need help paying for it? The Aerospace Scholarships Guide at AviationCareersPodcast.com has over $50 million in available scholarships. Many of these go unused because people don't apply for them. For just $10, you'll receive a full-year subscription to the guide, which is updated monthly. Every scholarship is personally verified to make sure it's accurate and still available. More information is at AviationCareersPodcast.com. Well, thanks, Larry, for that uh, message. The most recent update, by the way, the Scholarships Guide, uh, we have 36 new scholarships and four updates. And by the way, if you want to become a patron of the podcast, you can do that uh, uh, and just click on the patron on the side, Patreon account. Uh, and for every $10 that we raise through that, we actually give away one scholarships guide. Uh, and if people want to get the scholarships guide for free, there's some coupons out there. It's called Pay It Forward Coupon. Every time $10 comes up that we get from the Patreon account, we add one coupon to that. They usually go really fast, though. So check that out uh, on aerospacescholarships.com. Also, news and announcements. Of course, uh, the Sun and Fun Aerospace Expo is coming up. We thought we were going to be uh, going to planes, trains, and automobiles. We weren't able to make that show because I actually had to work. I was trying to get out of my trip. But that'll be the next one we're at. Is March 31st through April 5th. LiveATC.net slash SNF or just Look up Lakeland Airport on uh, Live ATC and click on Sun and Fun Radio, and you actually hear a lot of the interviews we've done all year long. Of course, I'm uh, the co-chair of the live announcing there, and the team here at Stuck Mike Avcast volunteers during the whole event. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to do that. Now entering cruise flight. Our topic today, moving into the cruise flight. It's a listener mail from Victoria. Victoria sent this over to us. She couldn't make it on the show tonight, but... Um, 
this comes in, and, and I'll, I'm going to make a caveat after I actually read the email because it is is a good way to start the discussion. There's a couple things that we're going to talk about within this email. Anyway, the listener mail says, uh, with the unfortunate accident uh, with Kobe Bryant, there's a discussion on uh, Pilots of America about whether synthetic vision would have helped. I think this might make for an interesting topic on uh, on our podcast. I do wonder if synthetic vision would be any help in those situations and would make it the 178 second to live scenario a thing of the past or if activating an autopilot with auto level or even a 180 degree heading feature would have helped in that situation uh, he continues on that on his sport cruiser I changed the Garmin 496 to Garmin Aero 660 and my AHAR source is from a GDL 39 3D unit I also upgraded my autopilot with true track vision with auto level feature before the Benix King acquisition I don't ever plan to fly into the clouds or beyond twilight conditions but I know things happen so have Having the Era 660 with synthetic vision provides some relief, though I hope never to have to use it in those conditions. Thanks again. Well, first of all, um, going into this this whole scenario, I'm glad we brought this up. What this has done is brought to the fore a couple things like special VFR and, the, and discussions there. As far as you know, conjecture, as far as would this has helped in that situation, we're not going to really go into that. That's kind of one of those discussions you see on the on the forums, and everybody kind of has their opinions on things. And we, we try not to get into that. You know, we don't try to speculate as to what happened. Again, we let the experts uh, figure out what happen in this situation and then we're going to talk a little bit about that in the future and I think that's really important to make that that point there so uh, could it would it should it you know we're not going to go into those things but one thing that I love about this email is it brought to the fore the different things that we could do uh, in both of our our IFR flying uh, different things that we can put in our airplane equipment etc training that'll help us fly IFR and be more proficient and tools that we can use but also we want to help prevent uh, people flying uh, VFR into IMC. You know, a, qu- a quick statistic, just to let you know, some of these accidents that have happened, is, this is, by the way, from the NAL report, this is really cool, it's put together by uh, AOPA every year, talks about uh, accidents and general aviation, and, and again, the other point we need to make is that we're talking only about general aviation, non-commercial type of flying, uh, and this is, you know, to bring this discussion into our realm, which is general aviation, and you know, we see the statistics, and they're really um, not so great uh, flying IMC, uh, VFR and IMC. It's this actual accidents are high, and also the fatality rate is really high. You know, that video that we talk about, AOPA, it was 178 seconds to live. It really is true. And it's um, just to add to that, just, you know, from empirical data, just go out there with your students, your very flight instructor listening, and, and get them into an IFR situation and, uh, you know, put the foggles on, take them out over the coast, and, and see how long they last as far as controlling the airplane. Uh, sometimes it works out fairly well. Sometimes it doesn't. If they have some instrument training in the past, it's a little bit better. But normally I find just uh, within a couple minutes the person is n- unable to actually control that uh, that aircraft. And, and that's from a statistical standpoint. It's also important to know that uh, we see this happen often where people get themselves into situations that they shouldn't. 
But one of the things I want to do, and I think Tom was willing to, to step up to this as far as flying, and this, again, is going back to us in general aviation. And remember, the rules are different for helicopters and general aviation and also uh, fixed wing, is you know this whole thing about special VFR and using special VFR. And, then, and, and I'd like, after Tom defines what that special VFR is, kind of discuss uh, our usage of it and then talk a little bit about how to prevent VFR and IMC. So, Tom, um, maybe you could give us a, you know, a quick definition as to uh, what special VFR is. Yeah. So, um, you know, the FAR aims, uh, in the FAR you have 91.157, which tells you what the special VFR minimums are and basically comes down to that you need um, to be uh, you need to be on an ATC clearance, um, you need to be clear of the clouds, and you need to have one mile of, uh, one statute mile of visibility. And that's basically it, you know, I mean, um, the, um, you know, if you're going to fly from, um, sunset to sunrise, you got to be on an, uh, uh, you got to be IFR rated and be in an IFR, um, certified aircraft, you know, but, um, and, and as you said, the rules were a little different for a helicopter. And then, um, you have, uh, the aim, which, uh, it's a uh, section four, dash four dash six which tells you how to get your clearances for it and, and basically re-describes those rules that are that are set forth in um uh, 9157 um but there's also an appendix that talks about um airports there are certain airports around the country that don't even uh permit special vfr and the list is uh, found in in the fars as well well thanks for that quick definition and and now let's put it into use um, as far as using special VFR, we actually had that discussion today. We could have departed where we are, special VFR, to go to where we wanted to go and realize that in route, we uh, once we left any controlled airspace, you know, we left tower and uh, we would have been outside of uh, that special VFR and, you know, clearance, and we would have been actually illegal at that point. Uh, maybe, maybe not, depending on the different. We were looking at some of the reports from the airports, and it was just so close. So in our case today, we decided to make that, that very conservative decision, saying, you know what, let's let's just wait till it gets VFR. You know, our, our plane was equipped, you know, was getting to the point where we were close to sunset, where we IFR, you know, rated, that type of thing. But it was better to err on the side of safety, especially a lot of people don't realize that Florida is pretty flat, but we do have some things out there called towers and TV towers, and you, you have to fly around some of those. And it was a good day when later on to kind of look at those things and realize that those are out there. Really neat that some of our equipment uh, has that ability to to pop up and say, hey, yeah, there's a, a, a object ahead, there's terrain ahead, et cetera. We'll talk a little bit about that. But, um, Tom, uh, I want to ask you first, and then Russ, as far as special VFR, I'm curious, have, how much have you actually actually used special VFR and special VFR clearances? So for me, it was um, I've only really actually used it once, and I used it as going back to an airport. So we had to, I departed with a student. We were flying out over the beach, and um, the the weather. Um, it, it started closing in on us and it got to the point where it was VFR and we could have, we could have filed a pop-up VFR to get back in or a pop-up IFR. Um, but we called the tower and said, Hey, I'd like to get special VFR to get back in. And it was pretty straightforward. They, they granted our request and we were able to stay clear of the clouds. Um, we still had plenty of visibility. It was just the, the deck was starting to close in a little bit. And I, I may not have even needed it. I think I still could have maintained the 2,000 foot and and got in, but um, 
you know, it was, it was pretty easy. They didn't ask me a bunch of questions. They didn't do anything. I requested a special VFR. They granted it, and I was able to land. Well, that's interesting. And you've been flying for a while. How many years have you been flying? This is like only one time you've used it. Yeah. Um, what am I in? Somewhere about 11 years now. Right. So that it's not often that we use it. It's uh, something we we don't use very often. That's one of the things, like I said, in the, the FAA safety seminars that we do, It's we try to tell people it's it's not something you can use very, very often. It's uh, really something you should rarely use also. Uh, but uh, but anyway, Russ, how about you? Have you uh, had any experience using a special VFR clearance? One time that I can remember, uh, and that's probably it. And I, I want to say it was just moving an airplane between a, a towered field and a untowered field that was, you know, just right outside the Delta, I, I think. Um, I, I, the one thing I do remember about it was, was that I requested special VFR and I don't think the controller got that request very much because, uh, it was, there was a very obvious pause, <laughs> you know, while, you know, a, Hey, what do we do for this? Hey, <laughs> right. you, you got to tell them this thing, you know, whatever. I, I don't know what was going on in the tower, but, but it sure seemed like, you know, I mean, I, you know, like I said, one time I've ever used it and it sure seemed like they didn't do it very often either. So they gave me all the normal phraseology, whatever it was. And, you know, I went on my way and it worked. I mean, it was, I was moving the airplane about five miles away. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too big of a deal. Uh, but it, it certainly helped out in that situation. But I mean, all the all the flying I do, if it's that bad of weather, I'm just going to be IFR anyway. So yeah, I I don't see a real big a real big call for it in my flying. Yeah, and I like that you said that, and that's where I wanted to ask you, since you flight instruct, what advice do you give to your students concerning special VFR? Well, we talk about it. I mean, you know, about it being an, an option, but but man, you know. <sighs> Usually when you go up with a student, you know, now student here, we're, I'm literally talking about a student pilot, you know, not, not rated at all. Uh, you're going up and you're flying and the weather's generally good. I mean, some places I've lived, you know, might be, you know, five miles of visibility or something and, and you, you still go up, but, uh, but generally, I mean, there's 10 miles of visibility or more when you're up there flying. So if you do get a chance and I try to do this, um, go up on a day when it's, you know, three miles of visibility or, you know, right on the edge there of marginal VFR or, or even lower and, and let the students see what it looks like. And a couple of times I've been able to do that to real good success. They've said, Oh man, I don't want to fly in this at all. <laughs> you, know, you can't see anything because you know, when you're used to seeing, you know, 20 or 30 miles away and it goes down to three or something, it's a very dramatic change. Uh, you know, out here in Oklahoma, when it's three miles of visibility is usually because there's you know, other significant weather. I've also lived some other places like around the Chesapeake Bay area where three miles of visibility might be a good, normal, sunny day, you know? So, uh, but, but it is very, very eye-opening, just that reduction of visibility. Then you talk about, well, you know, special VFR, you know, one mile, all this kind of thing. Man, that's, that's, that's pretty tight. So, like, like I said just a minute ago, you know, that, that's weather that, you know, I'm not going to go up and do training in. I'm not going to be doing, you know, pattern work or something so you know i'm gonna be flying ifr and if i've got that kind of weather and yeah and if it's appropriate in the syllabus i might fly you know file ifr with that student and let them get a taste of what it really looks like so they can maybe scare themselves and into getting their instrument rating or something 
And that's a good point, you know, is is one of the things that we talk about is uh, it, we're going to go into this and, and get past the special VFR clearances is uh, avoiding VFR and IMC, number one, um, and trying to survive an accidental, uh, you know, flight into IMC. And I personally, people ask me how... You know, how do I survive that? We do that training, you know, during the private pilot certificate. You know, we do a little bit of IFR training to try to get you out of IMC. Um, my my thing when I, I tell students the best way to survive it is get your instrument rating and file. Um, and I think that's, I think, the advice that many instructors give. So, um, and I think, Russ, I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on this as far as, you know, I'm sure you've gotten these questions before. You know, how do I survive that accidental flight into IMC? <laughs> well, uh, how do you survive the accidental flight into IMC? Well, I think a lot of it comes with, you know, in order to survive that encounter, you have to be trained. You know, this, you know, if you're the 178 seconds to live thing is, you know, a, a handy number to throw around. But if I remember right, that study was done with pilots who had zero training in IFR and very basic equipped airplanes. And that was something like the average time it took to, go out of control or, or something. I don't remember that. But but the key was it was with untrained, um, you know, not instrument trained pilots, pilots who hadn't had any real exposure to it. And that's a real old study, if I remember right, from the, you know, the 60s or maybe 70s or something. And, and of course, you know, now we require some uh, instrument training even for private pilots. So that's that's the best way to to, you know, in any case, I mean, whether we're talking about VFR and IMC or, you know, engine failures or any kind of other emergency, the best way to survive is to have the training before you even get there, of course. Um, but in another thing, in the, uh, in the listener mail, you know, talk about this equipment, synthetic vision, all that kind of stuff. And you had made the comment about, you know, what kind of equipment help. Well, really training is the best equipment you can have. Definitely. The other stuff is a great aid, but, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, I'm sure. But I mean, even the best equipment can, if you're not, trained and able to ignore uh, what your uh, vestibular system is telling you, your inner ear, it doesn't matter how much good equipment you have on board, you're going you're gonna to ignore it anyway and do what you think is right, which usually will be wrong. I love that you made that point as far as the equipment is a great aid, but without the training, it's, it doesn't, it's not going to help you at all, really. I mean, right, and, right. and that's that, and I have a really good um, uh, incident, uh, almost accident example of a couple of airline pilots flying down into the hills of Mexico. And there's that one of the airlines I used to work for, and they decided to just disregard the terrain warning that they had from the system. They said, oh, it must not be working. And uh, when they went back, and for some reason they got a, a radar altimeter that went off. It was showed like two, three hundred feet. Well, the reason it went off is because they missed the top of the mountain by two hundred to three hundred feet. If they just listened to the, wow. that terrain warning and took action as appropriate from their training, then they would have missed it by a lot more than that. But they decided that oh no, that must be wrong. And and we do find that every so often in in certain scenarios, especially when we go over uh, post incident reports and obviously post accident reports, that people sometimes do that. They take that wonderful system that we have in the aircraft and and they disregard it. Uh, similar to other systems that tell us, you know, hey, pull up, and you don't pull up. You know that kind of thing. It's it's 
it has to go with, and I love the point you made there. There's there's equipment. Equipment's great, but you have to use that equipment. Get trained in how to use it, and and it has to be consistent. You know that's for sure. But uh, anyway, so rest. I mean, what what's your opinion on that? Well, well, you know, I, I wanted to bring up a, an interesting thing. I did. This is uh, several years ago. It might have been five or six years ago. Um, I had a I had a student pilot. He was actually working on his um, sport pilot. Uh, but we were real early in it, and we had access to one of the Redbird simulators. And yeah, I, I wanted to, you know, get this whole point across about training and such because he was going for a sport pilot. And, you know, they they don't receive as, you know, as much instrument training, of course. And so in the Redbird simulator, it was simulating a Cessna 172. But I gave him basic, you know, like you know, cub style instruments, <laughs> you know, just the very basic instruments you would have in, in possibly a light sport aircraft. Uh, if you were looking, you know, for the more, uh, you know, vintage type aircraft and, you know, I, I basically had everything else failed other than you know, airspeed and whatever. So very limited instrumentation. And then I had him fly inadvertently into IMC and, you know, <laughs> if it wasn't 178 seconds, exactly, it was really close. I mean, it was a matter of just a couple minutes, and and he was in in a spiral towards the ground. Now, you know, the, the Redbird simulators, you know, they're they're good, you know, but they don't trick your ear in quite the same way. But it was it was realistic enough, and he was he was definitely, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, scared away from from pressing his luck into into bad weather, certainly. So how about let's kind of shift gears there as far as the the VFR and IMC we've been talking about the best prevention is to get training etc. But I, I think we'd be remiss to not discuss okay now what I, I messed up I'm here I'm I'm IMC um, and we do this training in your private pilot uh, during your private pilot certificate etc. And I always tell people you know just concentrate on flying the airplane and I know it's hard to say this but don't panic. Go back to your training and just concentrate and get help. Uh, call somebody, get some help. You know, I've had a, an issue when I just had my private. I called the controller and said, hey, listen, you know, the cloud deck's getting lower and, you know, I need, need a little help here. And once you say I need help, uh, bells and whistles go off and they're going to try as hard as they can uh, to help you out. And uh, the most important thing is try as hard as you can to stay VFR, but... If you do get caught in that situation, remember what your instructor told you to do. Uh, go through all those scenarios. And if you're not comfortable or you remember those things, uh, go out and get your instrument rating, obviously, but also go with an instructor and, and go over those things. Because what will happen is, you know, getting stuck in IFR, just like Russ did with the student, what it might do is it might actually spur you to do some more training. And, uh, you know, just remember that a lot of, like, for instance, special VFR, et cetera, that's not even legal uh, for people that fly commercially, for uh, airlines, et cetera. And there's a reason for that. And so we look back at that, and, and some people will say, you know, well, maybe we should change the rules, et cetera. Well, yeah, maybe, but maybe not. We have to have that discussion somewhere else. Um, but I think it's out there. Uh, special VFR is out there for for a reason, but also the reason we do the training uh, during their private pilot certificate is to help uh, people to get out of the situation, but we need to stress don't get into the situation, that's for sure. Uh, so, Tom, I was curious, uh, what do you do with your students, primary students, not not so much the instrument students as far as uh, VFR and IMC? How do you help them out uh, and and kind of talk about what you do discuss with them when you're training them to uh, try to prevent this and also during their training, uh, IFR training, while they're in their private? 
Yeah, um, I, I think Russ described it pretty adequately, and I'm I'm not much different. You know, I like to I like to get my students up in there. That we have to have three hours of training for uh, for a private pilot certificate. So um, three hours under the foggles gives you an opportunity to, um, you know, really drive home what it's going to be like trying to operate that aircraft. You know, without being able to see anything outside of it, and. Um, you know, the biggest thing with the private, in, in three hours worth of training, um, basically training them how to get themselves back out of trouble again, you know. And I mean, even an, even an IFR reading, when when I got my instrument, that was what my instructor told me. He says, remember, this is not a, a rating to get yourself into trouble. It's a rating to get yourself out. He says, the idea is not to get yourself in trouble in the first place. So that said, it's the same thing when teaching a private pilot. And, you know, a lot of that training is just, you know, doing a nice straight and level um, 180 degree turn to go back to where you knew it was clear before. You know, um, as soon as they saw weather deteriorating, the bells and whistles should already be going off in your head like, okay, I don't belong here. I need to go back where it was clear and figure out what I'm going to do. You know, so a lot of that training is just that, a nice straight and level 180 degree turn and being able to um, start a scan so that they can keep control of that aircraft. I think that's a great idea One and something to add to that. Um, think outside the box. Uh, you may wind up getting yourself caught in a situation where you have a thousand places to land below you. Uh, there could be a nice straight road, et cetera. You're in the country. That may be your out. So don't disregard any outs. Everything is an option uh, while you're flying and you get yourself stuck in the IMC or in a really low uh, visibility uh, situation. The other interesting thing, too, I feel – go ahead, Tom. Oh, I was going to say absolutely, and it 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 goes along um, what what popped into my mind as you were saying that about uh you know using an out even if it comes to landing on a country road. Um, it reminded I was thinking of the the far aim and that piece that I was reading there. There's a a special note in there that says specifically that the pilot is responsible for terrain and obstacle clearance avoidance. Right, and those obstacles can seem obvious. And uh, but they aren't, and can wind up getting us uh, bite us. And one of those obstacles I want to talk a little bit about is that we have this this rating where we can fly VFR at night. And in the U.S., a lot of other countries don't have that. You have to have your instrument rating, etc. But w there are certain scenarios that you really should think twice about flying VFR, and one of them is flying over water at night. I really hammer that into my students' heads that, gosh, you know, we really should should think twice about ever going VFR over the water at night. And I'm not so much talking about, like, those city areas where there's lots of lights lighting up the water and that type of thing, but, I mean, we're truly out over the coast. And, you know, Tom and I, we both get that opportunity. I'm sure some people out in the country, they get those opportunities to fly over very dark, featureless terrain, just like water is. And, boy, you don't know which way is up, and you have to really rely on your your instruments. And I was actually reminded of this today because Peter O'Night Airport, uh, we were using, uh, was it 2-2, and we took off. And as we took off, I know I was flying with my nephew. He says to me, he says, uh, you know, there's a lot of water around us right now. And, I mean, you rotate, you're at 700 feet, and you're over the water. And I said, yeah, there is. He says, you know, I'm not sure this is a very comfortable situation here. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it makes you think, doesn't it? Uh, I said, we really should maybe have that discussion. And not only that, have that discussion of taking off out of this airport at night. And I'm going to go back in there with him at night and say, hey, listen, we take off to the south at night. There is nothing. There's, it's, 
it's dark uh, and it could uh, really get you disoriented. You may have to go to using your instruments as you take off at night in general. That can happen also in the country. Uh, so, Tom, I know you're one of those people that's been doing a heck of a lot of flying on the coast and, and with students. And I was kind of curious, you know, have you done those demonstrations over the bay and, and what have the results been? Um, yeah, the demonstrations over the bay and over the Gulf. I mean, it's, it is a black void of nothing at night. Um, you get one of those nice moonless nights and it, it is, um, you know, it's like the coast ends and it's like the world ends out in the Gulf of Mexico. So flying up and down there in the middle of the night is, is definitely daunting. And I know when, let's see, I had just gotten my private, I was working on my instrument and, um, happened to do a nighttime flight, um, was keeping some night currency and flew up the coast. And I was talking to a controller. I was out of his airspace, but he called me. He said, he asked if I was still, still on frequency. And I said, yes. He says, Hey, I've got a C-130, which there's a coast guard base on the field that I took off from. And he said, he's coming down the coast opposite direction, same altitude. And it made me look to the left to go out and go. And I go, okay, I got him in sight. And when I turned my head back to look at Pinellas County, which was all dark, it rolled off to the right. I mean, it literally just rolled off. And I'm sitting there looking at my instruments. And I literally had to say out loud, trust your instruments, trust your instruments, trust your instruments. Because it, it did. It felt like I was turning. But I wasn't. I was straight and level. My brain was telling me I was turning. And it was the we weirdest feeling in the world. But that's when I, I discovered that, okay, it's just that easy. I snapped my head left to right, and I got me a good case of spatial disorientation. And the idea that my instruments were correct was true. And that's also important, uh, surviving an accident flight in IMC, especially if you're IFR certified and uh, current. Uh, you, you know, you trust your instruments, and sometimes uh, that's tough to do. And we've we've all gotten disoriented in some way or another, and it's great that you did that because, um, you know, it's something we teach our students, and sometimes you hear your instructor saying that to you. It's like, wait a minute, trust my instruments. Even though I know I'm, I'm my body says I'm in a turn, it tells me I'm straight and level, and I'm going to have to trust what the instruments are saying. That's That's some really good advice. But interestingly also is the fact that not everybody flies anywhere near the water, but they sometimes fly out in the middle of the country over featureless terrain. And, you know, I've done that in Texas. And I know, uh, Russ, I think, you know, I know you fly out of a city, but when you get away from the city where you are, it, it gets pretty dark, doesn't it? It is really dark sometimes. And you get that you know, moonless night or the high you know cloud layer you know, obscuring the moon and you get away from the city lights and it's, it's dark. I mean, you know, when I take students out for, you know, the night cross country flights, you know, I, I intentionally take it to some places that I know are, there's not much around. There's, there's quite a bit of not much around uh, in some parts of Oklahoma, just like you mentioned over <laughs> Texas. So uh, it's not hard to find. Um, but it, you know, I, we obviously don't, you know, have uh, oceans to fly over anywhere near here but uh but it really is a lot of times there can be the same effect uh, you just lose all all uh perspective on on the ground and such and and then you know maybe you turn around to come back and you got the lights of the city off in the distance well sometimes that you know kind of just like tom was talking about you know the yeah you know the, the way the lights are, are oriented and uh it, it makes you think maybe that you're turning and you're not it, yeah even that can be a mess so yeah at night just like you're talking about i mean just, this is why some countries have that you know night vfr rating you know, it's a special thing i think that's like true in canada maybe 
and uh, and in other countries where it's just you got to be IFR at night. And and it's you know, it's funny because I've taken you know some questions from you know from non-pilots or people that want to be pilots or just starting a training. So you know when I'm a private pilot, can I fly at night? And they're really surprised that they can because they would have thought you can't see anything. And well, in some ways, that can be true. Yes. Yeah. And th- and that's a great point. And one of the things that is really interesting, what you said there is, um, you know, a moonless night, et cetera. Boy, it really becomes a, a black hole. And I, I remember taking off not long ago and I, I looked at the captain. And I said, boy, I'm sure glad I got my instrument ready. <laughs> he, he chuckled. He's like, really? I said, no, I, I fly small airplanes. And I sometimes think to myself, gosh, you know, if I just took off and, and this is actually a VFR takeoff, I'd probably be really disoriented because I can't see a darn thing. You know, I'm flying out of some, you know, small airport in Iowa and I'm over a field and it all disappears. That's for sure. That's where all that nice equipment that's in front of you helps you in knowing where you are. You know, it's uh, the, the GPS is, et cetera. As a matter of fact, that's a good segue for our discussion on equipment and, you know, helping us survive uh, in IFR. And I hate to say that word survive, making it safer in IFR, making our situational awareness higher. And there are so many different pieces of equipment that are out there, but we have to use those. One of those is, you know, flying a great example. And I've had this happen where had a TCAS system. That's a system where uh, it's an avoidance. uh, It's a collision avoidance software. Uh, that talks to the other airplane through your transponder and it tells the other airplane to descend you to climb trying to avoid a collision well if you don't understand how to use that software it sounds really simple but it's not um some they all they're all different i've used you know a resolu- it's called a resolution advisory if you it you have this advisory and it tells you listen you need to descend and you did, need to descend at a certain rate to avoid a collision with that other aircraft but if you don't know how to actually perform that a maneuver, it's useless having that inf- that instrument in your airplane. Just like a lot of this other instrument we talk about, you know, the true track vision, you know, this and the auto leveling feature and all those kind of things. You know, those are all very good tools. Uh, but again, the most important thing is that training. And and we're we're kind of going beyond just you know, hey, what should we have in the aircraft? I know uh, the discussion maybe should go in that direction too. A lot of people talk about the parachute. I know that was brought up quite a bit in certain aircraft that have a, a ballistic recovery type of system. Yeah, that's another la- you know a, a, a last resort system. It's good to have everything in your aircraft. But again, you need to be trained to to use those things and. And one thing that I'm actually in the discussion with in the aircraft that I fly, because I have nothing as far as uh, collision avoidance, I would love to actually get something where I can actually have that ADS-B in, because I was flying with Tom, and when I saw that, and I was able to see the other traffic before, you know, on the screen, before I actually saw it out the window, that, that was like one of the most you know, eye-opening events in a small airplane because I'm so used to having that uh, even in in the airliner. Interestingly enough, though, in the airliner, we don't have ADS-B in on all the airliners. So that actually is not always a, I don't have that ability, but I do have TCAS, and they, they're required to have it there. But it's really uh, – those are really great tools. But anyway, uh, Russ, you had a point you want to make? Yeah, just about the training. I mean, we cannot stress enough that any equipment you have in that airplane, you need to you need to be 
capable of using it. You need to be, you know, trained on how to use it. And that's not just a plug for, you know, Tom and I as flight instructors, although it's a good one. Um, but no, I mean, it, you know, I've seen this, you know, repeatedly and it, it, it's, it's a little bit humorous sometimes, you know, I'll be with a client and, and they'll say, you know, we'll be maybe doing some instrument proficiency check type stuff or, you know, that kind of work. And Hey, they'll say, Hey, I got, you know, synthetic vision on my iPad, you know, you know, can I use it? I'm like, Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a great, you know, backup, you know, whatever. So let's do this. We'll, you know, we'll, I'll cover everything up. Like there was a problem. Just use your synthetic vision. And if they haven't done it before, their scan is, is, I mean, it's totally different. They're looking, you know, maybe their iPad is down in their lap or something. They're looking down there. The, the presentation is different. Uh, they're not used to flying it. Just, you know, things are in a different location. They, they haven't tried it out before. Well, it's a great backup, but only if you, you know, have used it before, you know, we don't, you, you don't want to make the first time you, you do something to be in the emergency situation, right? You know, we don't want the first time you, you lose an engine and a twin to be the actual time you lose the engine and a twin, right? So, uh, so we train on stuff and training is, is very, very important, even when it's, it seems so obvious. I mean, you know, you're sitting there at home and you got your iPad and you bring up the synthetic vision and it looks great. You know, it's got the artificial horizon and all that, the AHARs and stuff. But if you haven't actually flown with it in the airplane, it takes a little bit to get used to. And I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but you don't want to be trying to figure it out when you're task saturated with some other kind of emergency or VFR in the IMC in today's example. I like the what you talked about there as far as training and having those uh, backup instruments are great, but again, going back to using them, very important. I, I think that's terrific uh, and, and great point. I I know that I like to do that when I'm flying around. I like to go look at the standby attitude indicator and try to fly that a little bit. Obviously, VFR and, and good conditions, but it really is a challenge. I mean, trying to fly using that standby. Uh, but but I think the other thing too, like this individual was talking about, is having another AHAR source, etc. Uh, that goes towards, I think, speaks more towards IFR safety. I mean, here's another piece of backup equipment that you can use. Uh, and it, it is is great, just like you said, if you have the training on, first of all, how to use it. And second of all, do you know how to turn it on? You know, how, Do you know how to switch over to that? I mean, that's a great example, too, is that we have screens nowadays in our, our cockpits. Do you know how to switch that screen? Does it do it automatically? If it doesn't switch automatically, then how do I do that? Uh, those are the kind of things that we have to get training on. It's great to do it with an instructor in the airplane. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, a good example is I'm going up with a student, uh, a very experienced instrument rated, been flying for years, and we're going to go over some of the systems in his aircraft uh, for his new, the new Avidyne that he put in. But he wants to make sure he's doing it, first of all, me looking out the window and doing a VFR before we actually do it IFR. We're doing it in the airplane because he owns the airplane. But you could do the same thing in a simulator. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of these different pieces of software have simulators on the iPad, online, uh, even on your phone that you could actually work with and go through the procedures. So you actually have the procedures down, and then now you can actually fly that thing. But again, get out there with a flight instructor and, and go out and practice. And I think that's the point that Russ was trying to make. 
And it's a good point to be made, that's for sure. Um, but going towards, uh, you know, the other discussion as far as, and I don't ever, I don't want the person that wrote in to feel that we're not answering his question, but there's the, the certain things, like I said, we're not going to, we're going to avoid talking about could it have or should it have or would it have. Uh, we want to actually promote safety in general aviation. And one of the things we want to promote is how to avoid getting into IMC conditions and also try to promote and maybe help people move towards the possibility of an instrument rating. And, uh, and if you do have an instrument rating, another thing that happens, and I'd love to hear, you know, Tom, your thoughts on this and Russ, sometimes we don't want to file IFR. I know, gosh, me, I don't want to talk to anybody when I'm flying my little airplane. It's so wonderful to not have to talk on the radio because I'm talking on the radio all the time at work. But, but there are times you just got to file IFR. And even people with instrument ratings, you see them sometimes reticent to file. And, uh, and they're, you know, why is that? I mean, Tom, do you, do you have any feelings as to, you know, why even your instrument students might be reticent to file? Maybe it's, you know, the hassle of doing it. I don't know. I don't know. It might be. I mean, my personal experience is that, you know, I'm, I'm of the mind of why wouldn't you want to talk to somebody? You know, I mean, it's if I'm going someplace and I want to get safely from point A to point B, it's the safest way to get there. Now, that said, I have the days where I want to just go out and fly and I don't want to talk to anybody like you were saying. I want to get in the plane. I want to go enjoy myself. Um, you know, um, me and Carl, when you and I flew the last time, you know, I mean, we got to fly like a couple little kids. Oh, look at that over there. And we turn the airplane and we go fly over there and look at it and go fly around and go, you know, I think I remember you commenting that you looked at flight awares or, 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 or breadcrumbs or something <laughs> to track afterwards. And like, it definitely wasn't a straight line between point A and point B. I mean, we were like two little kids just checking everything out. So, and, and that's the beauty of having a VFR aircraft and being able to find it's being able to make that determination that it is safe to do that. And if it's not, that's what the rating is for is so that I can get out of an airport safely and that I can get back into an airport safely and, and do it within the rules. And, and sometimes talking to somebody is the best way to do that. So I don't think I've ever personally been, you know, reticent to, to, um, not file, you know, I mean, I, I use the system because that's what it's there for and that's, what's going to keep me the safest. And it, it's part of making that, that decision when I'm going to go get into an airplane for the day. And that's good advice. Now, Russ, have you run into folks that are like that, that say, yeah, I know I mentioned rating, but I really don't want to have to file. Yeah. When, when after, after I, you know, sign someone off for a check ride and for their instrument rating and they pass it, I mean, you know, and I'm talking about how check ride went and whatever. I will always say the, the best way to maintain competence in IFR and the system is to file it and use it every time you go fly, even if the weather is beautiful and clear. But so many of the, the people, you know, then I talk to a year later and like, oh, yeah, I just, I, I just never, you know, I just never file IFR. It's, you know, it's always clear weather when I go. So I just go VFR. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> what did I tell you? Yeah. You know, you get, you gotta, you get the best way to maintain, you know, your head in the game is to file that IFR all the time. And if you file it IFR all the time, you're not going to be concerned about it when you need to file it. If you haven't flown in a system for a year and now it's bad weather and you need to, well, you're going to be a little concerned about it. But if you've been doing it every flight, then it just becomes a matter of routine. Kind of like, you know, like Tom and I both do on most of our flights. It was, it's IFR. Um, and we're in the system and it's, it's just, it's, it's routine. So that's what you want. You want the difficult things to seem routine so that the truly tough stuff uh, you can handle uh, easier. 
That's a great point. And one of the things that I know I, I don't file as much as I could, but I will do one thing. I will uh, put up approach control, and I even talk to them like I did today, even though I didn't have to, but it was a short 15-minute flight. But I think just being in the system also helps you with lots of different things, not just uh, you know being safe, but also for survival. Say you lost an engine, at least you know someone's coming to get you pretty quickly because you're you're on your way down. You're talking to somebody, um, and that's those are you know that's kind of not the discussion here, but in general, it is better uh, as far as filing and being in the system because if you do find yourself. In IFR conditions, when you are flying VFR, now you've got to get the clearance. Now you got to admit you just broke a rule. Now you've got to, you know, get this pop up IFR, and you know it's like it's a it's a real hassle. Now you got to get out there, copy down the clearance. It's a lot easier to do that beforehand. Uh, so, and, and what's interesting in this discussion that we're having, we talk about equipment. Equipment's awesome. I mean, it's absolutely terrific. Synthetic vision, uh, doing landings at airports, and having you know head up display. Of course, it's going to make it safer. Your instrument. Uh, flight safer but what we're talking about is flying VFR and IMC and I think the biggest point here is is just don't do it unless you're actually flying IFR you're current your aircraft is equipped and you know how to use that equipment on your aircraft and you've gotten the training and that's the biggest point that all of the instructors here have made and it's something that we want you to do because we want you to continue flying we want you to be safe and we we'd love to hear you know your opinions obviously on this and we want to you know keep keep moving in that direction and that's really something that i think we we need to think about and that's really really important is is what am i doing and is it is it increasing my safety or decreasing it and we do that just about every day you know we're we're looking at that but uh anyway rush you had a, a, a answer to a question on this well yeah i just wanted to yeah before we get you know much further along i wanted to say uh, you know what you said about you know following your instruments and that kind of thing. I, I want to go back to the, the listener mail that Victoria got, and he's wondering if synthetic vision would have been a help in VFR and IMC situations. And, I mean, there's no there's no doubt. Of course it would be a help. I, I, don't, I don't see that anybody could really argue that it would be detrimental having synthetic vision. Um, but the... The problem, and if you've, if you've never been disoriented in IMC, whether it was a VFR and IMC, or just, you know, you were intentionally in IMC, you know, on an IFR flight plan, you know, if you've never been really disoriented, truly disoriented, it, it's hard to understand how much you can doubt your instruments. I mean, every instrument could say you are turning and you don't think you are, or vice versa. It doesn't matter if you've got a G1000 and the horizon is sideways on that thing. If your ear says you're turning a different way or you're not turning or you're straight and level, whatever, it is so hard without proper training and experience to ignore your inner ear. It, yeah, it, and I'm sure Tom, I'm sure Carl, you've seen the same thing that people will, will ignore everything in front of them and and believe their ear when they've got all this amazing instrumentation. And it doesn't matter what level of instrumentation you have. So, um, yes, synthetic vision would be great help in these situations, but it's never going to make the 178 second to live scenario thing of the past like the like the listener asks i don't think because just because of that the the illusion is so strong if you don't have the the training to uh notice it and realize it and then compensate for it uh, uh he or she I, I guess we don't know also asks um if activating an autopilot with an auto level or you know like a heading bug you know to turn around it would have helped uh in, if you're in VFR and IMC, 
Yeah, certainly. I went on a, a flight with a client of mine. He had just put in an autopilot in his Bonanza that has one of those level buttons. Oh, we had a great time trying this thing out. <laughs> you, know, you know, oh, let's see, let's you know, climb and dive and you know, enter weird turns and stuff, and reach over there and tap the button. It did great. Um, wonderful technology. I'm very interested to see how that capability plays out, and you know. It, re- it returned the plane to straight and level every time. I have no idea what would happen if we were upside down. You know, we didn't try that. <laughs> we weren't in an aerobatic airplane, but uh, that would be interesting to see. Uh, but, of course, just like anything else, I mean, you got to realize you need help to press, to just do something as simple as press that button. Uh, but that would, I don't see any way that that couldn't help. Um, any autopilot, of course, is, is going to be able to help to some degree or, you know, even turn you around and get you out of the I- IMC, of course. So, I just wanted to kind of wrap up a couple of the the quick remaining questions there that the listener had. Well, I'm I'm glad you caught that, right? And that's uh, and it's true. All those pieces of equipment can help. Uh, again, if you use it, and uh, you know, the first time I used that all level feature, oh my god, that was so cool. Um, and, yeah, it's fun. And, oh, it is. You try to get it out of the bounds of being able to level itself, and it worked, man. I tell you, I was like. I, you know, other than going upside down, like you said, we couldn't do that in the Cirrus, but, um, you know, it's, I guess we could have, but we shouldn't. Uh, it, it really does work. It's pretty, pretty cool stuff. Maybe we could try it in the simulator, see what happens there. Um, but it's really, you know, all these different tools are just wonderful tools, and it is going to make it a safer scenario. Um, but, you know, if you look at just people that look at the airline flying, all these, these different systems they have in the aircraft, it's helped. It helps if you use it and you're trained and you're constantly getting retrained. And I think that's what we have to do. And I think that was a great point. Uh, that was one of the, the best points that I think Russ made is, is training, training, training. It's so important. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up, Russ. But, uh, but as far as flying VFR and IMC, the prevention is uh, don't do it. You know, if you're if you're there's any questions, stop, think about it. Uh, if the go no go decision, uh, also get yourself an instrument rating that can help also because uh, if you do find yourself in IMC, the other thing too is that a lot of scenarios where you see people flying VFR and IMC, they're actually at a very low altitude and either around structures or terrain, and they wind up uh, getting themselves into trouble there. Uh, because they don't want to file IFR. If you have the rating and that you're equipped, uh, the the sooner you get under an IFR clearance and you're being controlled by a controller uh, and in radar contact, boy, it, it makes the situation that much uh, much better for you. That's for sure. Uh, so if you do, you know, think, gosh, in any way, uh, you should be flying IFR. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, go ahead and file. And I just talked to somebody the other day. Did a VFR cross country, and it's like, you know, it was just right there at minimums and i was like you know maybe you should have filed instead of actually flying that that flight you know of course it did it safely but uh just wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world got the instrument rating you got the aircraft it's equipped go ahead and file um but uh anyway hopefully we've answered some of those questions obviously um like i said this is a there's a tragic event there's there's many of these it happens uh too often actually uh people get themselves in trouble either legally or they cause an accident just because they they actually fly uh, they're flying vfr and they wind up in imc and it, whether they're rated or not 
whether they're trained or not, whether they're proficient or not, they find themselves in trouble just because they've gotten them into that, gotten themselves into that situation that they can't get out of. And we don't want you to do that. So uh, what I'd love to see is is you after this episode go out there and grab an instructor, go into a simulator, get in the airplane, and do some flying uh, with the equipment that you have, and go through these scenarios and say, yeah, you know, I don't ever want to get caught in that. And if I am caught in this, go back to those those days when you were a private pilot and learn how to get yourself out of IMC doing that 180 degree turn type of thing uh, and learn how to use all those features on the aircraft. Great points. And, uh, and I hope this actually adds to this, the discussion and also adds to uh, the safety of your flying in the future. But uh, anyway, great discussion, guys. We could go on for hours about all this. Um, a lot of this was some intro, especially with uh, uh, special VFR, and, and we kind of talked about that because a lot of people have been asking about it lately. Uh, but the most important thing is uh, try to stay safe out there. Get yourself an instrument rating if you're going to be uh, flying in, in any type of lower visibility, lower clouds, and uh, just prevent yourself from doing this and in, in flying IFR or into IFR if you're, you're VFR by making a, a really good decision. It's tough to do, I know. Uh, but uh, but we want to see you be safe. We want to see you flying and see you at all the fly-ins that come up in the future. Our Picks of the Week. Uh, let's go on to the Picks of the Week. And I'm going to start off with a Pick of the Week because I have another book. You know, uh, Russ, I'm going to have to blame you on this one because you have started me on this track of uh, reading and uh, general aviation books uh, and aviation <laughs> books in general. I, I've been doing a lot of other reading of books, but I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to start reading more aviation. And boy, have I learned so much. You know, it, it, Russ, I, I really appreciate that because it, no matter what book you read, say you read a book and it's about this topic you know, you're going to find something in there you're going to learn. And there's certain books, though, you're going to learn so much that you got to reread it. And this book that I read, The Manifesto, A Revolutionary Approach to General Aviation Maintenance, and that was by Mike Bush. Uh, boy, I talked about engines on another podcast, uh, previous one, as far as my pick of the week. This one is awesome, talking about general aviation maintenance. It's really, what it has done is every single chapter in this book has raised more questions in my understanding of systems and raised more questions in that I want to understand more about the system. I know enough. Uh, but I want to know more, and you can, as they say, you can never know enough. But uh, I want—I know how to operate it. But then I find out, well, maybe I don't know how to operate it. So that I question myself, and that's what was great about this book. You'll start questioning yourself uh, about maintenance, about general aviation maintenance. Um, so this person that wrote this has been writing for you know decades about uh, maintenance. You're going to find too that. Uh, some there's a lot of people have different opinions on his approach to maintenance, but uh, as far as your maintenance and going beyond TBO, those kind of things, and uh, you have to really kind of read his his book to see his opinion on those things. But more importantly, you're going to understand the actual system within the airplane, uh, whether it's your starter or maybe it's your magnetos, how to troubleshoot magneto problems. Uh, the most important thing I got out of this, I will say is that I'm going to do a better job when I am trying to help my mechanic troubleshoot a problem. You know, I do this at the airlines, and I don't think I do it well enough uh, with my my small aircraft. And I actually really messed this up. Um, this was before I re read this book, trying to explain to my mechanic what the problem was. And I was just like, oh, my God, I made the problem worse 
And I totally confused the mechanic by trying to help him out. I should have just told him exactly what I saw and told him what the what the you know the symptoms are. Don't try to be the doctor and just explain it to him. And that's kind of what the, I got out of this book is how to be a better troubleshooter and what I need to pay attention to while there's a problem with the airplane and how to actually describe that to my mechanic. Obviously, I learned a lot of other stuff, but that was the biggest takeaway there. Manifesto, Revolutionary Approach to General Aviation Maintenance by Mike Bush, and I have a link to it in the show notes down here. Uh, Okay, and then next on the list will be Tom. What is your pick of the week this week? Well, so I started thinking that this... uh podcast is going to come out the first of march and at the end of march we're all going to go be over at sun and fund so um it's going to give uh you only have a month left to go back and listen to the archives and all the interviews and stuff that we did last year so uh um, liveatc.net which uh you know also a shout out to dave pasco and his uh operation there and and using live atc for what it's for and and listening to uh all these different towers and controllers there but um the radio station and all of the the um interviews that we did everything has been archived there and uh um start listening because we're going to be coming up with some new material here uh starting the end of the month and it should be a blast Oh, great. Thanks for mentioning that. LiveATC.net slash SNF. Another way I tell people how to find that is just look up uh, Lakeland Airport on LiveATC, and it's in there. It's uh, Sun and Fun Radio is on there, just like all the other things that you can listen to, like uh, Approach and uh, Departure, ADS, and Tower. Uh, so if you can't remember, LiveATC.net slash SNF for Sun and Fun, just go to Lakeland Airport, click on it. It'll have their radio station. And, and remember, we're going to also, on that Sun and Fun, we're going to be doing a, an event there, probably sponsoring. We don't know which thing we're sponsoring, but either one of the dinners at night or the, the open pod night. All those things are actually rebroadcast on here. I love listening to it because I learned something uh, from those people that have been interviewed on there. And there's lots of other podcasters out there that help out. Uh, but the whole crew at Stuck Mike Avcast really volunteers and does a great job on that. Uh, so hats off to Tom, especially for all the stuff you do beforehand and behind the scenes. It seems like you're not quite on the on the radio as much there, but you're really working hard behind the scenes. So um, you don't get to hear him as much, but you do get to hear him on the open pod night. That's for sure. And, and on, on, on some of the interviews, too. So uh, listen to it, liveatc.net slash SNF. Uh, Russ, what is your pick of the week? Well, uh, the last couple of weeks I've been driving a lot just to different uh, clients. I've got a couple that are a little bit further away, a little further away airport. So I had gone, I had exhausted my my normal podcast uh, feeds, and I had listened, and I was all up to date on the podcast. So I remembered uh, a recommendation, a a uh, client of mine had made a couple months ago and he was talked about this opposing bases podcast. And so I checked it out and it's a couple of guys who are both air traffic controllers and pilots, active controllers and active pilots. And they talk about, um, you know, issues, how, how things look from, you know, kind of both sides of the microphone. They'll answer questions from users and it's a very, very informative it's it's very conversational i mean these two guys i don't know if they're actually sitting right next to each other but it sure sounds like they are even even more than us <laughs> but but um you know they they do work I, I think they work in the same facility so they're they know you know, they know each other and they um they talk about the coordination but that occurs between air traffic control and centers and and approach control in the tower and you know communications and rules and and just all that kind of stuff and i found it to be 
to be very, very interesting, informative, and uh, it, it's been great. Their their episodes are over an hour each, and I think it's every week. So, so I'm not going to run out of uh, material there for a while, certainly. But uh, yeah, Opposing Bases is a name, and there's a website, and of course, I assume on all the uh, podcast apps and feeds and such. Opposing Bases, pretty cool stuff, man. Thanks for that. Uh, as a matter of fact, we'll try to get them on the show just to talk a little bit about their podcast. Love oh, that'd to, be great. Yeah. Love to spread the podcasting love, that's for sure. Um, and uh, with that said, by the way, just a, a heads up, we're going to have a few more videos coming out, so don't forget to subscribe on Stuck Mike Avcast uh, right on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Stuck Mike Avcast. We're going to start doing it, putting together a few more videos, a uh, little project we've been talking about for a while. We're not making, this isn't a full discussion, closure but uh decided to do a little bit more um I, i'd love to talk to you personally and and we'd all love to talk personally and the one way we can do that is in front of a camera and actually see you and and discuss with you the different things from your emails etc and that can be done on video and sometimes it's a lot of fun to put together and you get to see some of the reactions that you can't see on you know while we're sitting in your ears and i know a lot of people love to watch uh, the youtube stuff so or the youtube uh, all that's uh, you know, learn so much from YouTube, etc. It's absolutely awesome. But Opposing Bases, I, I really like that podcast. Go check it out, along with so many other podcasts out there. It's just amazing how much good stuff there is out there. So, yes, let's spread that podcasting love. Thanks a lot for that one, Russ. I really appreciate it. Um, anyway, well, that's it for tonight. Um, I actually have to go fly early in the morning. It's about six hours from now. i got to wake up and, and have to go into the other airplane that I have to fly, which has all the buttons and switches on it. And um, very excited to do that. And uh, one of the cool things about this podcast is that we have people from all different backgrounds in aviation. And one of, it's really funny because when I'm up there in the air, one of the things I constantly do is I always wonder as I'm flying over an airport, gosh, I wonder what's going on down there. And I really wish I was down there with my small airplane checking out the area there because those are two different worlds. And sometimes we don't realize that everybody has their world of aviation, uh, no matter if you're flying off an island, you're flying up in you know Alaska and in other countries. But it's, it's whatever you make of it, and that's actually the, the thing that's been wonderful about this podcast, and we really appreciate uh, all of you listening to it and uh, the many years that, that we've been putting this together for you, and hopefully you, you really do learn something from this. But uh, don't forget all the links in the podcast uh, that we uh, mentioned. They'll in the, be in the show notes, stuckmikeavcast.com. And also, if you have questions, just go to stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, contact at stuckmikeavcast.com if you want to write in make comments we'd love to hear them but uh but most importantly i want you to learn something from this podcast uh especially this episode and i i really encourage you to to get out there after you listen to this podcast maybe call your instructor your friends discuss uh, some of the things we talked about here and maybe do something that'll help you be, become a safer pilot uh maybe go out and fly today or tomorrow and and get with an instructor and discuss some of these things and then go fly and practice some of these uh, VFR and IMC and, and see how you handle it and then become a safer pilot. And that's what we want to see here at the Stuck Mike Avcast. Well, folks, this has been so much fun bringing this to you. We'll talk to you next episode and safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. 
Members of the Stock Mike Adcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.